on this episode of the Defense Scoop podcast. How the Navy is executing on its information superiority vision. And amid the summer of AI, how the sea service is looking to be responsible and focus on outcomes. It's Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast, where you'll hear all about what's going on across the defense technology landscape. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Pentagon has launched a new task force dedicated to understanding how the Defense Department can effectively and responsibly leverage generative artificial intelligence tools such as large language models. Called Task Force Lima, the new organization will be led by the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office's Algorithmic Warfare Directorate and will assess, synchronize, and employ generative AI technologies across the Pentagon. According to an August 10th memo from Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks, some of the organization's goals will be to identify ongoing efforts related to generative AI at the Pentagon, analyze potential mission areas, workflows, and use cases for large language models and generative AI, support the development of and oversee the integration of the technology throughout the department, recommend a long-term government plan for generative AI, and many others. The Air Force Research Lab has opened a new center aimed at boosting the department's quantum prowess as the United States and China compete for new high-tech computing capabilities that could alter the military balance of power. The lab's new computing facility in New York features two laboratories for basic research in quantum computing, networking, and security, and two neuromorphic computing labs for basic research in machine learning models approximating human neurocognition. Collaborators from industry and other government agencies will be able to leverage the extreme computing facility's science and technology capabilities, according to Colonel Fred Garcia, who heads Air Force Research Lab's Information Directorate. And finally, in an exclusive interview with Defense Scoop, Lieutenant General John Morrison, Army Deputy Chief of Staff in G6, shared how Army Cyber Command is posturing to have centralized visibility over the service's entire network, from the office to the battlefield, the likes of which has never been done before. This effort is part of the Army's unified network plan, unveiled in the fall of 2021, and aims to link its tactical battlefield networks with its more static enterprise networks for a singular network approach. Previously, the network was comprised of federated silos that were largely theater-centric and made it difficult to communicate or share data across theaters. As such, Army Cyber Command will be more tuned into the cybersecurity of the entire network and able to assist units far-flung from traditional desktops on the battlefield. You can read more about these stories and much more at defensescoop.com. In 2020, the Secretary of the Department of the Navy signed out an information superiority vision, naming information superiority as a key strategic focus for the department, as well as restructuring and empowering the role of the Navy CIO and charting a course for the sea service to take action on its most pressing needs in IT and cybersecurity. Now, more than three years later, the Navy is continuing to execute on that strategy with some new technology leadership in place. One of those leaders is Justin Finelli, Technical Director for the Navy's PEO Digital and newly appointed Acting CTO for the service. In a conversation with Defense Scoop, Finelli touches on how the department has made progress executing the information superiority vision, how the department is approaching AI, and what the service is doing to better bridge the valley of death to scale innovation. 
It really is the golden age of data. There's, there's more than anyone could have imagined at this point. And that's what we've been waiting for. So our challenge is translating data into outcomes. And for the longest time, we've moved too slowly. And this is our chance to really get after it and turn IT from a cost center into an obvious value provider. We know that we've had beacons of light, but uh, ultimately data right now is helping us to make better decisions faster. And the way that it's doing that is uh, based on context. So as we get really good at that lower bar of the pyramid for the hierarchy of needs, we can spend less time looking, searching, organize, and more time steal on target, focusing on making better decisions. Uh, overall, uh, one thing that we've seen get real traction with us is by organizing from a discipline framework perspective around outcome-driven metrics. And so by using our world-class alignment metrics, we can not only benchmark, but we can focus our data into efforts that translate to better outcomes, better deliverables for our end users. So I'm curious to know as well, how are you approaching the demands for data to move more freely and dynamically across cloud environments? Totally. So uh, the Don's goal on data is to securely move data from anywhere to anywhere, which means it becomes invisible to the user. We just want a friction-free place where folks can serve the reason that they signed up to be in the military, the reason that they signed up for that civil service. We want to fade into the background. I'm from the school of make IT boring. And so we're doing a decent amount of that right now. Uh, there are three ways. First one is focus on the basics. So make sure that our in-cloud activities work. One of our success stories recently is Operation Flank Speed. And so we're getting that across different devices, across different domains, much more smoothly and friction-free than we were before. And we're hearing from our users. And as we do reps and improve that experience, uh, we're getting traction. We're figuring out ways to build on that data, even on the user-fed side. Two is federate instead of move. So we all know those uh, data and IT tree huggers. Uh, or box huggers rather, um, the, uh, they, they want to move things, they want to own data. That doesn't always make sense. There's cost in transit and there's cost in storage. So where we can federate and make sure that things can be in their authoritative sources, but we're getting the goodness from the data, uh, we wanna do that. So uh, part of that is based on number three, which is really press our vendor partners for is the value proposition there for one cloud versus another. And so as we look at, um, does it make sense to use two clouds or three clouds for this? We want it to be crystal clear. We're better at our data. They're very good. These vendor partners are very good at telling their data stories. So we want them to show us why the return on investment is there and why it makes sense. The last one in general is we want to attack those gaps, make sure that if there are risks or seams or technical difficulties that we're piloting against that. We have some really good uh, partner stories on that, especially across threat detection and some exciting things in FinOps. Thank you for outlining those points. Uh, they make a lot of sense. Um, I'd like to ask next, where are you focusing your efforts to protect the security of all that data, uh, especially, again, as it's moving between various IT systems, both internally and, you know, systems operated by other entities? For 25 years, this has been a trade-off between security and performance. 
And zero trust is the first time that I personally have seen a win-win come together where we're seeing performance and security both improved by the same sets of solutions. So we've partnered really strong with the DOD CIO, the stand-up of the Zero Trust uh, Portfolio Management Office, and doubled down on if we can be more granular on protecting the data, it opens new doors and doesn't increase risk. It actually lowers risk. So as much as we can double tap with our partners and Operation Flank Speed is just one example, there are several others. We're going down a path of uh, conceptual Sipper 2.0 and some other things. But uh, in general, as we work towards this, uh, we've been really pleasantly surprised with our defensive results uh, as it relates to protecting data, which opens up doors. Ultimately, the productivity is the goal. And if security isn't done well, it will slow down, slow down productivity by being proactive and investing upfront. We're living in the show me state. We're all in Missouri right now as it relates to data and security and going forward. Well, there's certainly no shortage of challenges in the technology space, but one of them that's intriguing is how rapidly technology is changing. And so I'm curious, how are you trying to strike a balance between achieving economies of scale and preserving flexibility and choice as, as you move forward with IT modernization? thousand percent. So we get by with a lot of help from our friends. Uh, we, we wouldn't want it to go slower, but we can't do it all. So what we've done uh, within my PEO, and we've shared it with others, and, and there are other adopters, is we've broken it down into four horizons. And we've said, hey, we know that production is king, but what are we doing in terms of horizon two piloting? And what are we doing in terms of horizon three, using our buying power and our influence power to say, here are the things that we really need. Industry has been incredibly responsive to say, hey, uh, if you can point us at a target, we'll put our IRAD, our internal research and development dollars on that. Same with USD R&E, the other side of DOD. If we're doing research to solve a problem and we can transition that to a PEO, we're volunteering to say, if you have something that's ready to solve those, we don't have to buy retail. We can partner with you longer term and solve these. So the answer to your question is transparency is number one. Modern service delivery. So uh, think service-oriented architecture or connecting dots or staying modular and disciplined from day one is number two. And then piloting with friends where they can, and partners where they can do a lot of the risk reduction. And so we're at a pretty high technology readiness level and ready to deploy because we've been looking at the problem for years. Well, lastly, I'm intrigued by some of the things you're saying about working with industry. And I'm curious, how do you view the state of relations between agencies and technology partners these days uh, compared to the past? And you know, have they gotten stronger and more productive? Or and what would also help unlock greater value in those relations? Definitely. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> we've definitely seen strides. Uh, we have more people at the table. Uh, but I think if we're being uh, if we're really thinking thoughtfully about this, uh, there, there's uh, some people who are performing better than ever, and uh, we have a little bit more data. And so we know that there are some people who um, who have an opportunity to kind of uh, uh, change the way that they're doing it. And if, if feedback sets us free, then we can turn this K-curve uh, into a hockey stick. Uh, so ultimately, uh, where partners have said, hey, let's lead with 
Uh, here are the answers. Here's how we can show and translate what we're doing into a value proposition in our terms. Then it's working out. Um, one thing the government can always do better is clarify our needs. And so I, I used to work with, we all have 2000 page requirements document. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, we're doing a lot more agile. Agile is best if it's clearly depicting our vision and how we're measuring success. And so just in recent cases, we've had um, a, we show our five goalposts for here's exactly what we're trying to achieve. And now we have vendors at, at talks and at uh, conferences coming up and saying, here's how we can meet those needs specifically. The best integration is no integration. That doesn't happen very often, but where we can limit those activities and show here's how we get to value in three months instead of three years, stay modular and keep competing. Then, then we're absolutely there. So I'd say what we can do better to unlock some of that value is be clearer and incorporate feedback from our vendors and get that feedback as specific as possible. We're doing that. And where vendors can be responsible, ask tough questions, not just give us canned briefs and make sure that the match is one for one fit and then lean all the way in because we're using player coaches to go further faster and we need it more than ever right now based on what's happening in the world. You can learn more about the Navy's information superiority at defensescoop.com. And now during this next segment, I'll pass it over to my colleague Wyatt Cash for a conversation with our sponsoring partners at Google for Government. Wyatt, take it away. As the Defense Department continues to modernize its logistics operations and supply chains, data and AI can enable sustainable, efficient, and resilient data-driven operations. I'm Wyatt Cash with Scoop News Group, and joining me to talk about that today is Tom Kenny, Technical Director at Google Public Sector. Google for Government is a Defense Scoop podcast sponsor. Tom, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the program. appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, Wyatt. Uh, first, I'd like to start by asking, what are some of the biggest challenges that the Defense Department is trying to overcome to keep up with global logistics needs? Well, I don't think it comes as any surprise to people looking at the global landscape today and recognizing that we are making a pretty strategic shift from smaller targeted environments where we're trying to move logistics to, albeit on a fairly large scale across the world. But in the age of strategic competition, our ability to respond to threats and contingencies around the world, we're going to need a much more robust and agile logistics system. And that's important because if we think about the threats that we face today compared to threats that maybe we faced 30 years ago, we have environments that we need to operate simultaneously. And maybe even more important, as we think about some of the logistics systems that we have, our modern military systems, they are much more complex than they were before. And many of them require some specialized maintenance, some specialized support. So that's a challenge in and of itself. It makes it a bit more difficult to keep some of these logistics systems in readiness and deploy them around the world when we need. We also need to reduce costs from a Department of Defense perspective. You know, we've got a large budget. We've got a lot of people doing a lot of things with a lot of materiel. Wherever we can find ways to improve efficiency and effectiveness of logistics is a win for the department. And talk to us a little about the role that you see generative AI capabilities playing in transforming how defense organizations overcome these challenges. Well, generative AI is such an interesting technology, and it's been around for years. 
But as we're starting to see the different areas we can apply it, it's both a little bit of responsibility to ensure we apply it ethically and responsibly, but there's a whole myriad of ways that we can use this technology in logistic systems. If we think about how we train for logistic supply chain disruption, where are we going to have problems with either equipment that we need to move materiel? Where might we have threats, either cyber threats or physical threats, to our ability to move materiel around the world in logistic systems? Generative AI, one of the really good operational tools that we can apply is generating synthetic data. And we can use that synthetic data to train machine learning models, and we can look for patterns, we can look for an anomaly in real-time data. This can really help some of the defense organizations to better understand the global logistics environment. What gets me really excited about that is with generative AI and generating synthetic data, we can get after things like counterfactual machine learning, where we can apply multiple different potential outcomes to see how they might disrupt or threat some of the supply chains that we have. And it's a really interesting technology that's only now coming to the forefront because we've got the language models, we've got some of the machine learning models, but we've also got the scalability in our compute and storage to be able to go after any number of different scenarios and looked at areas that maybe even we as humans, even logistics professionals, may not have initially identified as a threat to what we need to be able to do. The second part of generative AI that I get really excited about is where we can enhance some of the decision making. Think about how we can generate alternative scenarios and then assess the potential impact of those scenarios with our decision making. This can really help us from a defense perspective, make more informed decisions about where to allocate resource and respond to contingencies. An early example of this is where Kessel Run did some really interesting work with logistics with the Air Force and being able to move some of the fueling aspects around the globe much, much more efficiently for a significant cost savings. It really demonstrated what the potential was. And this was several years ago. The technology has advanced even further. And the third part about it, which is not necessarily the most exciting part for everyone, but it's the automation aspect of it. We're seeing the evolution of basic automation tasks into where we started to talk about robotic process automation, which wasn't about robots, which was about making things that we do on our daily basis much easier to do, now into generative AI, where we can automate a whole different world of things like route planning, inventory management, maintenance scheduling. This can really help to improve the efficiency. And then it frees up personnel for other tasks, which are the human-related tasks around logistics. Now, this is really interesting if we apply these different capabilities and look at generative alternate transportation routes, assessing the potential impact to disruptions on a global scale, we need to be able to move at the speed of relevance. We need to be able to move much, much more quickly to threats on the landscape, either the digital threats or the physical threats that are out there. And by employing some of these models, by building some real intelligence into our automation of our systems, we're going to be able to react to the strategic threats that we face today much, much more quickly and effectively on the global stage. Those are some really interesting examples. And I appreciate your pointing to alternative planning scenarios. That's really fascinating. Um, let me ask what additional capabilities uh, Google has to offer defense agencies and specifically the different military branches in their mission to modernize logistics operations. Well, being from Google, I have to say that the Google Cloud Platform is the most scalable and the most resilient, in my opinion. And if I think about global logistics across the world and the fact that 
Google has built such a secure infrastructure, is such a, a devotee to zero trust in everything that we do. Leveraging the Google Cloud platform across the globe opens up a whole world of opportunities in the strategic competition world that we live in today. Some of the things that we have inside of Google Cloud include things like Vertex AI, and Vertex has something we call a model garden. Now, we're leveraging Vertex to do things like simple document automation, document artificial intelligence, customer care, and customer service. But the model gardens are also allowing organizations, including the Department of Defense, to be able to build different models and reuse those models across the board. Now, what that means is that we can generate some of that efficiency and that effectiveness and logistics on a globally scalable, a planet scalable computing platform, leveraging some of the model gardens, and we can get into forecasting and predictive maintenance and anomaly detection. We've also got some really interesting tools for geospatial intelligence with Google Earth and Google Maps, being able to deliver that information so quickly for route planning and facility siting. If you think about facility siting for where we're thinking about resilient basing of the future and the future fight. And then finally, cybersecurity. We had a recent acquisition with Mandiant and our dedicated team of security experts is really the best in the world, in my opinion. Fantastic team, always looking to prevent any sort of entry to even the smallest amount of data to the largest data set. Cybersecurity is one of our tenants inside of Google and Google Cloud. Now, if you think about where we could use these inside of the different services, Think about the army using it for logistics information system, for a single source of truth for data on location and status of equipment and supplies. As one of the largest users of material in the services, this could be game-changing for the Army. Think about the Navy using some of the machine learning capabilities that could look at potential problems with ships and aircraft before they cause a failure. Thinking about how salt water affects both aircraft and ships. Thinking about engine maintenance on aircraft and ships. Being able to apply predictive capabilities to those maintenance schedules, could reduce the overall load of the material teams, could reduce the amount of logistics that's needed to fly around the world, and can keep a higher level of readiness. If you think about the Air Force and Google Earth and Google Maps for flight routes, identify potential locations, this is where I was talking about the strategic resiliency. One of the strategic imperatives of the Air Force is to be able to move aircraft and personnel to the locations they're needed very, very quickly for bases that may be newly established, as opposed to large Air Force bases that may exist back in the States. And then finally, think about the Marine Corps and their forward look going on the beaches, going as the first boots on the ground sometimes, leveraging generative AI for cybersecurity to prevent logistic systems from cyber attacks to ensure that the Marines have the equipment they need to be first on the ground could be absolutely huge. Those are some great examples. Thank you. And then lastly, uh, Tom, what are some parting recommendations that you could provide to leaders as they look at uh, logistics operations priorities? I would say we have a lot of folks that are thinking about the focus on end-to-end -end supply chain, transportation, warehousing, getting the right stuff to the right people at the right time. But there's another side to this too that I think we have to really think about, which is the software supply chain as well, the software bill of materials. All of these logistic systems in this very, very digitally complex military infrastructure we've got for moving things around the world we need to make sure that the software supply chain is as resilient as our physical supply chain. The second I might add is embracing new technologies. 
it's hard to see how some of these technologies can make an immediate impact. When we have systems, some of them are dated back decades that have been in use, that have been deployed and are used today. But think about how we can embrace new technologies that can augment what we already have to drive some of the future capabilities that we need. And then finally, we really need a culture of innovation inside of logistics. How can we transform the world we live in? You know, it's complex, it's ever-changing. We need that culture that encourages innovation and experimentation. The idea of any idea can be the best idea of the future from any level has got to be embraced by everyone inside of the department. That innovation culture, that idea of bringing these great ideas to the forefront can really help drive some of the logistics operations priorities. Well, Tom, Kenny, thank you so much for taking a few minutes here to join us today and really uh, help uh, elaborate and share your insights on how um, AI and uh, Google um, for public sector can really help the Defense Department and in particular, its logistics operations. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. The Defense Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Defense Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Billy Mitchell.